Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that? Special. Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Brett Allen here coming at you live from the Bay Area Studios. And on the line, I have John Sardella. He is an author. His book is entitled A Journey Without a Map. And this book just focuses on stories of loss, grief, and moving forward. All of us have dealt with loss and grief, anxiety even at some point, and we have gotten to a place where it has just been so difficult for us to move forward, and we don't really know how because we have so many people telling us so many different things, and this book deals with it very directly. John Sardella shares his personal story. I share a little bit about my story of loss and grief, whether it be divorce or the death of a mom and a dad. I feel like we're all going to benefit from this conversation. Conversation. Let's bring John on the line. John Sardella, welcome into the Open Mic Podcast, my friend. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Brad. I appreciate it. Well, John Sardella, and we mentioned this in the intro, but just to kind of loop back around to that, he has written a book entitled A Journey Without a Map. And this book is just absolutely fantastic. And it will be available in our show notes as well for you to purchase. And it's a quick read. I, I have read it. And this book is just really, I think, for anybody, right? I mean, if you've experienced loss, of course, it's really important because it helps us take some practical steps to processing this and to moving on. But the overarching theme, we talk about your experience of loss and losing your wife and then really just working through the process to move on and give yourself permission to move on, right? Would you say that's a pretty good uh, summation of, of the book so far? Yes, yes, I agree with that. I feel that, you know, handling adversity, trying to overcome adversity and being able to move forward and continue to be the person you are, but along with that, helping others. Now, you talk about this quite a bit in the book that when you experienced the loss, you were just really kind of reaching out for anything, right, to be able to process the grief. That is correct. Uh, after I lost my wife, uh, what happened was I kind of went through the experience of numbness and didn't know the direction to go. And as that, as the book says, it's a journey without a map. And I was just trying to figure out how the journey would go. And I was trying to set myself up to try to get balanced again, because I felt when I lost my wife, I lost some of my balance. I lost the most important person who uh, I loved, who I cared for deeply. And without her, she was that balancer in my life, along with my faith, my spirituality, obviously, along with that, my friends and my family. And I had to figure out, okay, what are what's out there? What can I what can I learn or what can I connect with to be able to help me out? And what I found was one of the biggest connections I had was the consistency of friends the consistency of 
being around family, and most importantly, keeping my spirituality there. Now, you talk about your spirituality a lot, and I like that because that resonates with me specifically. We talked about this before we started rolling tape, but I lost my dad several years ago, and in the midst of all that, I was a youth pastor for a church. So I have my spirituality as well, and that really, I think for me personally, was the biggest driving force in dealing with the loss. But also, I felt like that even though I have that a lot of the people who were in the faith community were a little bit dismissive with my feelings, if that makes any sense. And they mm-hmm. really kind of just were like, well, he's with heaven now, he's in, he's with God, and you just have to learn to deal with it. Did you, <laughs> did you deal with any of that kind of the backbiting? I guess you could say, I don't know if that's the greatest way to describe it, but really just kind of like the combativeness of, of spiritual folks, or were they mostly supportive and kind of helped you along through the grieving process? I found that it was, uh, they were actually helpful. And a big reason why I talk about the spirituality in the book is the power of not just the spirituality for me, but most importantly for my wife. She attended mass every single day when she went through this disease, especially the last six months. And the relationship she had with our priest was very special. He's a very kind, special person. But because of her strength of her spirituality and belief in God, it it helped her to come to acceptance of her passing. And because she was able to come to that acceptance of, of death, it really helped Everybody, those everybody around her to be able to say, okay, she's ready. The issue, though, really came down to she was she accepted the fact that she was going to die and she was going to go to heaven. The reality of it was she was very sad about the sadness that was going to be left behind because she knew there would be sadness. And so it wasn't as much as other people saying things about that. If they did, they said, thank the Lord she had her faith and she had a a strong belief in God. But what it really was was you know, the sadness and people miss her and that loneliness without her is what affects people today. Did you deal with any kind of post-traumatic stress disorder after you found out this had all happened, she had passed and you started working through the grieving process later down the road? Did you find yourself combating that at all? By chance? I'm just curious more than anything. Well, I don't know if it was post traumatic distress order, I think what it was, was it was more numbness and going through the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And as I went through the stages, stages of grief, yeah, maybe it is some post-trauma, obviously, because I did lose somebody. And when you think about going through life and when you lose a spouse at a young age, or if you lose a child, or if you lose somebody suddenly, or you go through a very difficult um, challenge, you, you do go through some kind of uh, trauma, trauma, obviously. But what I found was I kept reaching for what are my resources? When will I know it's time for me to get the help? And that's really what I focused on to try to get through this. And trust me, I'm not through it. I'm not even close to through it, but I think I manage it a lot better. And by managing a lot better, I know what the resources are out there. I know who to connect with. I know once in a while I might have to go back to my therapist who I connected with eight months after her passing. Um, But other times it's just having people around me. Like currently through this coronavirus, I have two, two of my kids with me. My daughter, my two daughters are with me. My oldest daughter and her fiance is here. And having those 
those people, having my kids around me is really all I need. And it helps me every single day, every minute of the day, because I don't just sit around the house being lonely and trying to figure out what to do. I can connect with them. And there's times we don't talk because they're busy and they're they're focused on something else. But at the same time, it gives me the opportunity to be able to just know they are physically present within the household. And that's what's special to me. So as for post-traumatic, yeah, but at the same time, I have found connections to be able to help me through that. I think that's a very important thing, John, to have that support in the midst of something and even really after it. Because for me, it took a few years and even into my marriage to really start to process the loss. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I had suppressed it or what the situation was. I feel like that I didn't grieve properly, if that question, or if that makes any sense. I don't know if there's <laughs> there's a right way to grieve. I think everybody grieves differently. And as the book says, it's a journey without a map. And I even stayed in the book. This is how I did it. Mm-hmm. This was my roadmap. But it, other people are going to do it differently. You know, when I connect with my staff, for example, I, have a, I had a, a teacher who passed away when I was a principal. And it was very traumatic. She, um, and it was a very um, a difficult passing. But when I worked with my staff of 75 people, I said, everybody's going to handle this their own way. I'm just here to help and support you in whatever way I can. And some people are going to reach out to the people they need to reach out to. Some people are going to come to me directly, but other people are going to just not really talk about it and just try to figure it out as they move forward. And as you go through this experience and as you went through it, I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just you're figuring out and every day you're hoping it's getting better. And as it gets better, you become better yourself. What I found is my grief started prior to her passing because she was battling cancer for seven years and it came to me understanding it. So when October came around before she passed, about four months before she passed, I came to a revelation that said, holy cow, she's going to go soon. I need to be prepared for this. I need to help other people. And I came to a better understanding when she did physically go and she passed away, that was another level of grief. And that other level of grief was what really created numbness within myself going through motion, the motions and just trying to figure out, hey, what are the next steps? Wow. I appreciate you sharing that and just being so open about it. And I feel like this will benefit our listeners significantly because especially right now, given the situation of of the lockdown and the quarantine and just so many news sources that inundate us every day, I feel like we need something to hold on to, right? And to really give us that roadmap. That's not a roadmap. <laughs> I guess you could say uh, to really get through the loss that is happening right now in our country with just thousands and thousands of people literally dying every single day unexpectedly. Now, my question for you is, is that you 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 had reached out and you go into quite a bit of detail of this in the book. And again, this is why I feel it's important that everybody should read this. And you were finding all these different resources and you were just probably being inundated, right, with different things, psychologists, I don't know, self-help books, 
all of that sort of thing. What was the key turning point for you, John, where you just started to sit down and just go, okay, this is something that I need to put into paper. And because you had written a couple books before. So writing books was not new to you necessarily. This is like the third one, I believe that you've written, uh, which is remarkably different than the other two. And we can maybe touch on that at the end here (laughs) uh, to wrap up on a good note, uh, but, uh, or more positive, I guess. Well, it's all positive. Um, but in any case, you, you decided at what point that I need to write this and I need to get this out to the people to read. So what's helped me can help them. What I found was having the experience of writing a book and the book was the books that I wrote before were based on lacrosse and a children's book, alphabet book. And, but I knew as I became a principal and I didn't really have that creative time as much as I had in the past. I was a principal. I was raising children. I was uh, coaching lacrosse. I was I was uh, burning ca- the candle at both ends and I was doing a lot and trying to keep balance within my life. I knew that there was something else. There was another story within me. And so what I did is I started compiling stories of just about my experiences as an educator, as a coach, uh, just everything in life. And when I retired a couple of years ago, I realized that, you know what, I'm going to have creative time to be able to do this. So after being retired for a year, I came to the conclusion that, and now it's two years after my wife's passing, I, I came to the conclusion it's time to really buckle down and start writing again. So I connected with a publisher and the publisher that I connected with, um, what an outstanding group of people. When I shared them my idea and my proposal, and before they accepted it, they said to me, well, John, actually, this is great. They have a bunch of stories. I thought, you know, hey, here's a story about leadership. And here, you know, leadership would be chapter one, or here's overcoming adversity. Here's, here's chapter two, so on and so forth. And they said, well, John, your story is actually you. And all these stories could be threaded through your experience with your wife. And it really became what it became over. It was my life of the last 10 years. And it was incorporating all those different stories, like the connections with my friends and the former player and the coach that I worked with and the experience of Dana Farber and the beans and the legacy you leave behind. All those things were able to be threaded within the story because of the fact that I knew the story. I knew the pieces. They helped me really thread it and make it into a better story. And that's how that all was created. Now, what I found when it was time to write that book, it was very cathartic. I had so many ideas in my brain that they were all scrambled up, even though I was taking notes and I was compiling information to write this book. And when I really started putting pen to paper prior to even signing with my publisher that was four months prior, I realized, wow, this is really therapeutic. I'm getting my ideas out there and I'm getting them organized and it's emotional, but it's helpful. And I thought The best way to explain it is when you work with a therapist, you have conversations with them and then you leave. When you put it on paper, it becomes real and it becomes more permanent. And so I was able to have the opportunity to create something that was more permanent to help me through my grief and to help me to really focus on others and help others. And that's what how the whole book was created. And that's when I decided to do it and how I decided to do it. Fantastic. Now, for those who might not be able to write a book. How do you feel about journaling? You mentioned writing things down and you talk about this again in the book, writing things down and making them real. Do you feel that journaling can also be helpful uh, to folks who might be experiencing or have experienced some type of loss? 
Absolutely. I think journaling, I think having the ability to have a conversation with somebody on a consistent basis. Um, but I do think journaling really helps people to get their thoughts on paper and to be able to revisit that often, to be able to say, hey, this is this is more organized. This is uh, this is therapeutic and this does help. And I can see why people journal um, even beyond what I did, because I journaled in the sense of taking a lot of notes and creating my stories, whereas people sometimes journal every day. Like my daughter, she journals every single day and she writes down what is on her mind and as she gets through things. And I think it helps with her when she's in a stressful situation or she's in a difficult situation. So I do believe it's very therapeutic and it's very helpful for people. Children, when they're little and they experience a loss like that, it's hard for them to process and to really understand at least, you know, I, I wasn't with children when my father passed, so I didn't really have to encounter that. But for you, what were some of the things that you were able to do to help your children really understand what had happened to mom? Obviously, they had seen her suffering. Was it a surprise to them when she passed? And and if it wasn't, you know, how did they handle it? Or if it was, how did you handle? Uh, you talk a little bit about it, but just kind of expounding on that idea a little bit more and really helping internalize that for, for small children, a loss like that. Well, what I found was in my conversations with the kids, and that's Paul chapter three, where they tell their part of the story. What happens is um, they all knew something serious was going on. I talked to each child at a different level. My oldest child at the time when she was, when Margaret, when my wife was diagnosed, she was going into 12th grade and my son was going into 10th grade and my youngest was going into seventh grade. So they were all in their teenage years. What I found though is the conversation was different with each and every one of them. The older one I spoke to a lot more. The middle one I spoke to, you know, I, it's sort of like the, you know, three, uh, 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 what is it, Goldilocks and the three bears, you know, you, yeah. you, you just sort of like, with each one, you deal with them differently. And the youngest one lived the experience until she went off to college. And six months after she went to off to college, my wife did pass. So the kids were aware of it. They didn't realize that they were going to lose their mother. They didn't want to really believe that they were going to lose their mother. But when it did happen, they knew that the reality could happen. And that was the most difficult thing, watching them go through that whole process. And because as a father, you, you, you bleed for your children. And you're you're really in your own emotions. You're as good as your saddest child. And the reality of that is all three of them were sad at the same time. And you're sad and you're going to through this. But how do you get through it together? So it really came down to the conversations we had and the conversations were different with each one of them. And then it was being there to help them. But at the same time, they were there to help me, too. They were like, how do we focus on dad and how do we make sure he's going to be okay?" My oldest daughter, she made a commitment every month. I'm going to come home because at the time she was working in New York City and she was like, I'm going to come home and I'm going to make sure I'm there at least for a weekend each month to be with dad and make sure he's going to be okay." 
And so we really worked and partnered together in our our relationship right now, because now my kids are 22, 25, and 27, it's powerful, it's strong, and we're very, very connected. I have, like I said, two of the girls, two of my kids right now are home with me uh, through this coronavirus, and we're harbored up together, but we just connect together and we have fun together, and it's just nice to be physically present together. Yeah, I bet it is, especially since we can't go anywhere and do anything right now, really. you know, maybe go to the store here or there, but that's kind of depressing just to think about, uh, you know, kind of how limited we are in this. Now, the overarching theme or the tagline is, you know, this book gives you permission to not only feel those real and true feelings that you have, but permission to move forward. So there's two questions here, John. The first one is, why do we struggle with moving forward? And the second one is, why is it that we struggle, at least from your perspective, really experiencing those true feelings? So I guess we could reverse those because one sort of leads to the other. Well, I think because when it comes to death and it becomes uh, a serious situations, people just don't know how to respond. And I think most importantly, Internally, they they struggle with it. And then when they try to do something externally, they're not sure what to do because there's not a roadmap to it. But what I found going through this whole process is I needed to talk about it. You know, my kids, they talk about it a little bit, but they don't talk about it a lot. Uh, My wife's family and my family, um, they they don't really talk to me about it because they don't want to bring it up and try to bring sadness. But I actually enjoy talking about it because I love my wife dearly. She was a very special person. And it really helps me out as I have conversations about her and different experiences with her. I find, though, a lot of people... Uh, what they do is they just close up and they don't have the conversation with people. And therefore, they become stuck. Mm-hmm. For example, I was talking to a psychologist last week and she was saying to me, and this wasn't just a regular conversation. When I said, you know, nobody really comes to my house anymore to visit. Uh, they'll go to the Naples home because that's a new home and that's my condo down in Florida. But in Syracuse, where I live uh, six months of my life, People don't really come over and they're afraid of, I think, facing their own emotions. And by facing their own emotions, they're kind of stuck themselves. And I think if they come over to the house and they sit and they talk and have a drink and we laugh a little bit, I think it can help them to get beyond their own um, block, blockage of being stuck. And I do believe that there's not a roadmap to it. People don't know and Mm -hmm. they don't know how to get out of their own way. But most importantly, if you can look and you can see the forest through the trees a little bit, like I, when I wrote this book, I knew that this had the ability to help people. It gave me that purpose again. I was an educator for a long time. I was a teacher, a principal, a coach for over 30 years. And I had the ability to make an impact on people almost every single day. And with this book, I'm having that same impact. So I was able to see one, it's going to help me, but then I was able to see everything beyond to say, this is going to help others. And it is. And it's been an, a wild experience the last couple months because of all the conversations I've had and people reaching out and having the, the ability to say, hey, it's going to be okay. But what it did is it helped people to get out of out of being stuck because they said, I fully understand what you're going through. I'm not alone in this. Thank you for writing this book. 
And some of them just needed that. This book is number one on Amazon. It's a bestseller, and rightfully so, because I think what I really appreciate about this book the most, and there are are many things, but I, I love the fact that you essentially are saying it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to move forward and to not feel that guilt. And, you know, taking trips down memory lane and being reminded of those things actually helps the grieving process, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, having the ability to move forward is living your life. What people, I think, need to understand, especially those closest to me, is I will never forget my wife. I was with her for over 30 years and having the ability to, you know, having that relationship for 30 years, you just don't forget somebody. And we were very close as we went through our experience in our 30 years together. So um, you, you have to give yourself permission. But along with that, you also have to make sure you show responsibility. And that responsibility is making sure you do it for yourself, but you do it for others, too. People don't want to see you stuck in your house and and being distanced from other people. What people want to see is you to move forward and to enjoy life and to be able to uh, embrace what's out there. And so I find if I am being responsible to myself, it's going to help others. So therefore, I'm also being responsible for all the people around me, my kids, my friends, my family, because then they're, they're going to see, hey, he can do it. And I think it helps others. I know I, I got feedback from family members and they said, wow, never really knew that whole experience you went through. I mean, as much as my brother Billy and he talked to me and he said, but wow, what I learned from it was amazing. And I took some of those things myself to be a better person. So, you know, it was really powerful, but also it was part of that responsibility uh, to be able to help others, but also to help myself. What about making the decision to get into another relationship, perhaps dating or marriage? Is there a time frame that people should consider before doing that? Or is it all kind of an individual experience type of thing? I think think? that's an individual experience for everybody. Um, I think it's what people uh, are willing to commit to. I'm not in that position at this time. Um, As long as I have people around me and I have uh, connections and physical presence of others, I feel very comfortable with that. Um, I think about as you move forward, I have my children who are the bottom line is it's all about my kids. And if they're not comfortable with something like that, it's going to be difficult for me to be comfortable to move forward with that too. But for others, people, some people need it. Some people always need that constant companion. I'm good. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hanging out with my buddies and playing some golf and having a cigar and a beer. Hey, I'm good. All right. But at the same time, if my kids are around, I'm good. What I think in my world is once in a while, it would be nice just to go to a Broadway show and be able to have a female companion to be able to go to a show or to be able to go to the movies or something like that. But simple things. But uh, as for commitment, absolutely not on my end at this point in time. I still think it's still too raw for me. But at the same time for others, they might be ready for it sooner than I am. Well, I, I appreciate your honesty there. Absolutely stunning, my friend. And, you know, for those of us who have been married once and have no desire to get married again, <laughs> uh, you know, divorce is mourning the death of something, comparatively speaking. But, uh, 
you know, if, if one marriage is enough, I, I'm good. <laughs> and, and, and I feel the same way. I love my wife dearly. <laughs> and when she passed, we were closer than we've ever been. And, um, you know, that's tough. You know, she's, she's a, she was a very special person and mm-hmm. to be able to find somebody. Um, I know I won't find somebody like her. She was just too special. And I, I get that sense reading the book, you know, that, that she was such a unique and special person and you talk a lot about her extensively. So I kind of felt like I knew her a little bit by the time I had finished and I felt a connection to both of you. And I was like, yeah, this makes perfect sense, you know, and it helped me personally. And I think we talked about this before we rolled tape, but just to kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but just kind of go, yeah, you know, I experienced this a little bit and uh, I, I feel like I made the right moves uh, as far as giving myself permission to move on and to really just go, okay, I'm going to be all right. And I still miss my father, you know, a decade or so later since he passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just challenges me as a, as a father with a five-year-old son to really just dig in and just give him the very best pieces of me and to to set up a legacy for him. So one day, you know, he will remember me and go, yeah, my dad did this or my my father did that. And so thank you for this book. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Well, uh, you know, you hit him on, on some points that I think are very important. Some of those points are, you know, your father passed and that's a generational loss. And, you know, the generational loss, I can come to handling that a little better because of the fact that my father died when I was 40 years old. And that was 18 years ago. And the reality is when my father passed, it was it was tough. I mean, just like you, Brett, it was very difficult because it was my first serious loss and I was very close to my father. But he was 73 years old and I came to the understanding, okay, that was more generational. When my wife passed, it wasn't really generational. Her folks are still alive. They're in their 80s and they lost a child at 51 years old. And that was against the norm. And I really had to get uh, come to grasp with that too and to come to an understanding. Yeah. But as you said, you, you have a responsibility to your child. And by having a responsibility to your child and trying to make his experience that that's more special, that's what it's about. And that's a learning tool. And to give yourself permission to move forward is what is most important. Absolutely. So for those who haven't read the book, again, I can't stress enough to read it. If you've experienced loss or you are going through something right now of loss, what would be four things that folks could take away from that you really hope you could drive home to them uh, for practical purposes and to force them to read your book? Well, I, you know, there, you put me on a spot with four specific things because there's many things that I would like to talk well, about. Well, your top, whatever. But, yeah, go ahead. You're but, free. No, that's all good, man. That's all good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I thought about what we're experiencing right now with the coronavirus and everybody going through these unsettling, challenging times. And what I found is that, uh, one, it's how do you handle adversity? 
um, for adversity is you're going to go one or two ways when you are dealt with adversity. Are you going to be able to step up and be able to take it on and mentally be able to be strong through it? Or are you going to succumb to it and are you going to become a victim to it? And you can't be a victim to it because then what happens is you fall into categories that or areas that you really don't want to, depression, sadness, loneliness, so on and so forth. So I do look at handling adversity as most important in the sense of being mentally strong to be able to get through it. And along with that adversity, it's making sure that you realize that it's going to be okay. You know, up to this point, here I am, 57 years old, I'm going to be in about a week. And I, I realize, hey, I'm 57 years old. I've been through a lot of my life, but hey, I'm sitting here talking to you, Brett. That's pretty cool. And the reality of it is everything that I've gone through and all the challenges has got me to the point where I'm okay mm-hmm. and I'm okay and, I, and I'm moving forward and I'm living life. So I do think it's handling adversity and realizing that things are going to be okay. But it's also learning as you go through this journey about the connections that you have with other people and how you can build those connections. Oh, my Lord. I love the connections that I have because the friends that I have had through this experience that are still with me today, I talk about the quality of those friendships and not about quantity of friendships. I talk about the quality because they're the strongest relationships that I can have. And every day I try to make those better. For example, I have seven buddies and there's eight of us all together. And two of these buddies I went to kindergarten with. Mm -hmm. And I've known these guys for over 50 years. And I refer to Dr. Lacombe in one of the books, my buddy La, and how he's a doctor and he helped us through this journey. And those connections, but we just we're on a text thread today and we're going to have a zoom meeting on Saturday night and we're going to have a zoom happy hour together and we're just going to have some drinks and have some laughs and have a good time but it's the strengthening of those relationships and those connections that are really the most special thing that I have and then another piece of it is as I go through the balance of my life between my family, my friends, it's my spirituality and it helps me to be balanced as a person. And my spirituality has helped me through hard times. It's made me believe. Um, It does give me comfort that my wife was able to say to her, she was ready to go and she had such a strong spirit. And that gives me peace to be honest with you. Do I still have the sadness? Absolutely. But it does give me peace. So I would say those are the things that I I would give listeners to be able to say, hey, listen, I think if you keep your focus on the basics, you're going to be okay. Yes, I would agree with all of that extensively. So I don't want to bury the headline here. We talked about it briefly, but you were a high school principal. You were a coach. Lacrosse, how did that come about in your life? And do you do you find yourself wanting to play these days? I've always found that one of the most interesting sports that exist uh, and just the sheer physical strength it takes to play the game. I don't think I could ever do it, but uh, my hat's off to you uh, for that. Well, I was very lucky when I was in elementary school. I was in second grade and I my phys ed teacher was the head lacrosse coach for our school at Jamesville DeWitt. And at JD, we called it, um, he taught all of his kids in elementary school how to play lacrosse as a phys ed teacher. We had wow. helmets that had, they were the old style football helmets with chicken wire on the face mask. We had the old leather gloves. We had the old wooden sticks and we would go out and we would play lacrosse. And so 
that experience right there gave me the passion. And I've been involved in the sport for over 50 years. Wow. So what has happened is over time, I was able to, I'm glad you asked this question. I haven't really had this uh, conversation in a while. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, I was able to play in high school. I was able to play in college. And then beyond college, I was just a recreational type of player that would play in summer leagues and indoor lacrosse programs and things like that. But I got into coaching at the college level at Lemoyne College uh, back when I was 21 years old. And I was coaching my peers. I was coaching kids who were the same age. And that showed me the passion for coaching and teaching and understanding that. And so where I went to school at Cortland State, I ended up um, also becoming a teacher. And when I became a teacher uh, back in 1987, the spring of 88, they needed a lacrosse coach. And to this day, the lacrosse coach, Kerry Quilty, who's a good buddy of mine, I actually, the reason why I'm in Naples is because he has a condo in Naples and I ended up staying with him and buying six buildings down from him. And uh, he hired me as a freshman coach. And then I was part of that program for 30 years, whether it was in the capacity of coaching at the high school. And I coached every level, modified, freshman, JV, and varsity. But I also uh, helped run the youth program. So I was coaching kids. If I wasn't in the school program, I was coaching the younger kids. And I was coaching kids in the five-year-old program or the high school program or the middle school or the elementary program. And then I got the opportunity to run a league, which ended up being one of the largest leagues in the country called the Bryan Upstate Lacrosse League, the Bull League. And I was one of the founding fathers of that. And now that's 26 years old and they have thousands and thousands of kids that play. And many of the kids that come out of Syracuse uh, in the Syracuse Central New York area played in that league, which is now called the ULA. Um, And then what happened was as I was a teacher and as I was a coach and I was part of lacrosse as an administrator too, I came to the realization as a teacher that we would have authors come to our uh, uh, schools and share their children's books. And I would sit there and go, man, I can do this. So I did. So I went out and I said, hey, I'm going to create a lacrosse book. And I connected with an illustrator and U.S. Lacrosse was my publisher and my distributor. And I wrote the book, Ellis for Lacrosse, an ABC book. And it sold thousands of copies. And the reality of it is... uh, it was. It gave me the opportunity to be able to go and do book talks with kids. It gave me the ability to talk to others about publishing and just that whole experience. So when I got back into it years later and doing this book, a lot of similarities to what I've already experienced. And today, unfortunately, Ellis for Lacrosse is an ebook, and I just did it in a different format and simplifies the format. But um, the actual uh, book, soft cover type of book, is out of print. And uh, maybe someday we'll, you know, I'll, I'll connect with a publisher again and, and refine that and and do the third edition of it because there were two editions of it prior. Um, but. The most important thing, that whole experience of lacrosse and to this day has been such a positive and and it's been a passion of mine, which has helped with my balance of my life. Hmm. So last year was my last year of coaching at the high school level up in my school district, Liverpool Central School District. And I'm down in Naples now, but I'm coaching a girls program with a gentleman who I met um, when I was playing golf at my club. and. 
I became a women's lacrosse coach, a girls lacrosse coach now down in Florida. And I'll tell you, the coolest thing in Florida is January 27th, our season started, and I was out in a T-shirt and shorts in <laughs> lacrosse. And in Syracuse, it was probably about 15 degrees below zero. <laughs> wow. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, how can people connect with you if they want to get the book? Of course, all those links will be in our show notes. But uh, as far as like reaching out and getting more information or perhaps speaking engagements, how can they do that? Everything is in uh, is uh, at my website, johnsardella.com. It has my podcast. It has articles, but it also has a link that people can connect to me. Um, they can just fill out the form, send it to me. I get it on my email and I've done a ton of interviews, whether it's been podcasts or live TV um, and a variety of things. My book signing, unfortunately, uh, one of my book signings got postponed and I have other book talks I would be willing to do. And I have one set up down in Florida down in uh, January of 2001, but uh, 2021. Uh, but most importantly, they could connect with me right at johnsardella.com and just fill out the form. It comes right to my email and I will respond within 24 hours. John, thank you for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Brett, I really appreciate it. You're doing a great job with these podcasts. I've listened to a number of them. I know I'm not the big uh, celebrity, but at the same oh, time, you whatever. Know what? it's been a really cool interview and I really appreciate it. And I hope you are, you're doing well and appreciate you telling me a little bit about your story too. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Until next time, cheers.